The Word of Mouth podcast from NHPR is made possible with support from you, our subscribers, and from Heinemann, a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. You're listening to Word of Mouth from New Hampshire Public Radio. I'm Justine Paradise, flower correspondent. I have always loved getting a bouquet of lilacs. I have a specific vase. I always put the bouquet in every year when they bloom. Um, I don't know, I've just always loved them. And they grow well here. This is Elise Sullivan. She's a photographer living in Durham, New Hampshire. She and her 15-year-old son Dion are the winners of last year's statewide competition for lilac photos. When we started looking for lilacs, initially he couldn't identify a rhododendron from a lilac, like they were just purple-flowered things. But he got good. In the winning photo, Dion is leaning into the leaves, totally surrounded by purple blossoms. And he's got his eyes closed, and he's sniffing, and I soften the picture a little bit to give kind of a feeling of being in amongst the smell of the, the flowers. As always on Word of Mouth, our show today starts with a question submitted by a listener. This one's from Mary Colvard in Nottingham. Oh, my question was, why are Rochester, New Hampshire and Rochester, New York both labeled the Lilac City? Mary's question about Lilac City seems relatively simple, one that might lead into a sweet story about a beloved flower. But as it turns out, the tale of the Lilac in New Hampshire is one of identity of pride, and even of hubris. The fragrance of the lilac is powerful, even intoxicating. With its heart-shaped leaves and flowers that grow in long, cornucopia-like spires, the lilac's a charismatic plant, and it's New Hampshire's state flower. Although that is a little peculiar, because although it is a common favorite, it's not like it grows wild in New Hampshire's woods or anything. It's an ornamental, a garden plant, and native to the Balkans. And in 1919, the purple lilac beat out nine other contenders for the title, including popular and familiar New England wildflowers like the wood lily, purple aster, and goldenrod. Ultimately, the lilac even triumphed in a final stalemate with the also-introduced apple blossom. Took a lot of controversy to get there, but they got there in 1919, and it was voted in. That's Guy Jinta. He's the former landscape specialist for the Department of Transportation and now the chairman of the governor's Lilac and Wildflower Commission. It was formed to help promote the growth of lilacs and to educate the public on how to care for lilacs. This is also the commission that runs the lilac photo contest. As its name suggests, the commission is particularly devoted to lilacs. It almost sounds like the name places all flowers into two categories, lilacs and pretenders. So... Guy is literally the lilac guy. Uh, you notice the color of my phone is purple. Uh, I, I'm considered a lilac nut. If you probably saw my car coming in. I have lilacs on, on two cars. I have the word lilac and lilacs. But then I have an antique car, and I was able to get lilac on that because it's antique and it's different from your regular registration. So I still have three plates with lilacs on them. Yeah. Guy has not one. Not two, but three vanity plates printed with some form of the word lilac. So again, Guy chairs the Governor's Lilac and Wildflower Commission. 
And that's a group that's over 30 years old. Governor Lighter Commission was formed in 1984 by the father, John Sununu. And it was formed along with the help of Mel Thompson, who back then was very much into lilacs. And they were, the, the word was back then is to purpleize New Hampshire's highways. That was what the hope would be. They just loved lilacs. Well, I'm just I'm interested in why lilacs though, because they're not native, right? That's right, they're not native. I believe they were from Eastern Europe and 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 portions of Asia when they first were developed. But they came here in 1750 at the governor's Wentworth Coolidge Mansion, which we believe is the first place in the nation that had lilacs. Now, there's a place in Michigan who tries to say that they had them before us. We have records that prove we have them since 1750. They don't have quite those records, we believe. And I can't imagine them coming across from Europe, landing in New Hampshire, and then bringing them over to Michigan. I'm sure we're the first ones with lilacs. According to Guy and the commission, before Michigan, before Thomas Jefferson, before George Washington and Mount Vernon, before even the Declaration of Independence, New Hampshire had lilacs. But New Hampshire's Rochester might not have been first to the title of Lilac City. To respond to Mary's question about why Rochester, New York and Rochester, New Hampshire are both called Lilac City, the short answer is no one knows. But if you can figure it out, a lot of people would be happy over here. This is Blaine Cox, Rochester, New Hampshire's city manager. Blaine keeps a running collection of newspaper clippings on this question some of which date back to the 1950s, but none of which provide a definitive answer. So there, there are two theories. Um, one is that uh, Helen Husley Champlin, who lived in the city uh, many years ago, um, I want to say she passed sometime in the 1970s, um, but she was an active gardener. Um, but she was the one behind getting the purple lilac named as the state of New Hampshire uh, flower. Like back in 1919? Uh, it was yeah, it was very early. Wow! But there's no indication in any of the um, uh, records that she was responsible for Rochester being named the Lilac City. Whether it was just a coincidence that she lived here and uh, was active in getting it designated as the state flower is not known. I also spoke to a historian, Catherine Grover, who wrote a history of the city, and she thinks this is the right theory. Helen and her husband also founded the Haven Hill Garden Club and imported dozens of lilacs from England. Helen might have petitioned the state to christen Rochester Lilac City in the 1930s, but the city clerk has no record of this. So the other theory is that a sports writer from East Rochester named Reggie Hurd came up with the name back in the 1950s. And nobody's been able to confirm that, but a couple folks said, yeah, could have. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a mystery to be solved. But there is also a third theory, presented here by Guy Junta. The story that I know, and I can't say I'm completely 100% accurate on this, but I believe it was in 1975, after years and years of realizing Rochester, New York, was such famous for its lilacs, and Rochester, New Hampshire, had a lot of lilacs in its vicinity, decided, listen, why don't we make this also Lilac City, Rochester, New Hampshire, and I think it helped to boost their economy and help beautify the, the city better. And that's why I believe they named it the Rochester, the New Hampshire Lilac City. Plus the fact that we are a state flower too, why would it not be Rochester, the Lilac City? Fascinating. So it was not a coincidence. I don't believe so. Oh no, I don't believe so at all. <laughs> 
and and by the way, there is a beautiful plantings of lilacs um, in Rochester, along by the Skyhaven Airport, with one of the longest stretches of lilacs I can recall in New Hampshire on any major road, and I believe it's 108, Route 108. So why does Rochester get the distinction of being Lilac City and not Portsmouth or Lisbon or any of these other places? I think because of that connection with New York, that's what I believe. Rochester, New York, Lilac, known for their Lilacs. Rochester, New Hampshire, must be known for their Lilacs and must also have the title. <laughs> you know what's so funny about New Hampshire, because I'm, I'm not from New Hampshire, is I often find that there's you know this first in the nation mentality and you know we've got a we've got a like there's kind of a competitive edge that New Hampshire yes. has in its spirit you yes. know yes that's true and I think I I related to it earlier this the lilac is such a strong plant in fact some of the best years I've seen lilac bloom have been in some of the coldest winters we've had so there it is that's the New Hampshire connection right there it's it's a hardy strong plant and has so many different colors and so many different varieties it's it's all New Hampshire. In a sense, lilacs are a symbol of Granite State pride. Pride that led Rochester to officially claim the title of Lilac City, whether that was in the 30s, 50s, or even in the 1970s, perhaps in response to competition from the likes of New York. It's also pride that led governors to purpleize state highways, and pride that compels gardeners to plant lilacs in their backyards. But as written in the Book of Proverbs, and as written by Jay-Z, Pride always goeth before the fall. Uh, this is the house. It's the mansion house. It's a beautiful kind of sunflower yellow, and it's overlooking the harbor. Originally, it was red. The cool just painted it yellow. This is Sandy Phelps. She's the lead guide at the Wentworth Coolidge Mansion, which was the governor's house on a windy peninsula overlooking the water. This is the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard, uh, the Piscataqua River runs up and through here. This is Newcastle Island straight across. The property also owns Leeches Island over here and an island snuff box and clam pit, which are over in there. One of them's sort of hidden and another one is in front of us. Snuff box and clam pit, that's yeah. <laughs> great names. This is the place where Governor Wentworth planted lilacs in 1750. Later, the house passed on to the Coolidge family. They were friendly with Beatrix Potter, and they painted the house that eye-catching yellow. You can imagine how the purple lilacs planted by the house would really pop against that sunflower wall. That is, if there were any lilacs left by that sunflower wall. The lilacs you can see on that postcard originally absolutely covered this whole area, and you can sort of see what's begun to happen to them. There's a disease that's in the soil called emilaria that's getting into the lilacs and slowly killing them off. The reason they haven't replanted next to the house is they're afraid it's still there. What is happening to them? They are beginning to just shrivel up and die and you can see there's some, it looks like driftwood down there, you see right by the wall. And that's part of an old uh, trunk from the lilacs. That's how big they were. What the problem was is the plants were so old. And I mean, there were trees. There, was, there were lilac stems that looked like tree trunks. They were foot, two feet wide. This is lilac guy, Guy Jinta again. And the problem was is some of us wanted to start pruning 
to hope we could rejuvenate these plants while others were saying it's historical and we shouldn't touch it. Well, it, we, we held on and held on until the historical part of it started to wear off because of the plants were dying. Not pruning the lilacs isn't good for them, according to Beth Simpson of Rolling Green Nursery in Greenland, New Hampshire. They need to be renovated by pruning all the, you know, frequently. And I think that um, I know in the nursery, um, you know, after a while, it's good to prune out about 30% of the old wood of lilacs and uh, to keep them healthy. The caretakers of these old lilacs wanted the lilacs to look old because of, you know, New Hampshire's first in the nation identity, which can make everything into a competition. So in keeping up appearances of this idea of being the first and oldest, the lilacs weren't properly cared for. And with that, plus the cumulative effects of years of drought, they got sick. By the time anyone realized what was happening, their ancient roots had been infected with honey fungus, or armillaria. So you could say, from pride comes the fall, and from hubris comes honey fungus. The Wentworth Coolidge Commission decided to try to save the old shrubs with the help of lilac heavyweights like Owen Rogers, an internationally recognized lilac expert and professor at UNH. But alas, it was too late for the old trunks. You know, they're dead. And unfortunately, that fungus stays in the soil for a very, very long time. Like how long? Um, as long as we're probably alive. But before the old lilacs totally died off, they did come up with a different way to keep that first-in-the-nation distinction. They worked with Syringa Plus, which was out of Newbury, Massachusetts, and they were a lilac specialty grower, to have some of the original lilacs tissue cultured, which means cloned, essentially. Cloning. In this effort, the commission produced hundreds of plants cloned from the ancient lilac trunks. Beth helped pot up the specimens and built new raised beds to plant them in. The commission also sold some of these clones to the public at the Lilac Festival. Beth says her part of the project took about eight years, and last fall they transplanted some of the mature clones to a new bed with a mix of other varieties. Um, that's where we are with it. So it, it's, it's going to be exciting. I don't know because they were newly transplanted if we'll see any flowers this year, but um, with some TLC going forward, you know, a little extra water if we have a droughty time or maybe some fertilizer, um, we'll, we should start seeing flowers in the next few years for, in the new planting, which would be great. So you're hopeful. Oh, yeah, I'm very hopeful. And as far as the question of the title of Lilac City, I made over a dozen phone calls to various city officials and organizations in Rochester, and no one I spoke to knew for sure how or why or even when the city got that name. But Jen Murphy Aubin in the city's Economic Development Department says it doesn't really matter. New Hampshire's lilacs might have been the oldest in the nation, or they might not have. But the point is, they're a symbol of something. You know, I, I think everyone desperately wants to have um, a stake in history, and be it a lilac, be it, you know, an eagle. I think all of those are kind of relevant. The name might have come from enterprising gardener Helen Hussey Champlin and her garden club in the 1930s. New Hampshire might have been competing with Rochester, New York. But perhaps this is all just an endearing coincidence, something to laugh about.
I really do think that in, in history, the things that we're speculating right now can easily be started like a massive game of telephone. And by the time it gets around the neighborhood, it's something different entirely. So that we can't necessarily pin down the exact um, naming of the Lilac City for for Rochester and for New Hampshire um, is no surprise to me, although it would have been far more... Um, it's always satisfying to have something definitive. Yeah, but that's... I think we can just leave this more to like the lilting scent of the lilacs on the breeze <laughs> and leave it more to art than fact. So even though the honey fungus did kill the old trunks, their tissue-cultured clones endure, and so does the legend of the lilacs. For Guy Genta, this is the stuff of song. There's a place I know Now you know why I like it. <laughs> and the sparkling rivers rush down to the sea. And you can share it whenever you want. You can, you want to play the whole thing? I used to love this when I moved to New Hampshire. I really just used to love it. And now I play it. I have a jukebox, and in the jukebox is this record. <laughs> oh, New Hampshire. New Hampshire is where I want to be. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, New Hampshire. I love New Hampshire naturally. I won't bore you any more with that singer. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Word of Mouth was produced this week by me, Justine Paradise, with help from Jimmy Gutierrez, Ben Henry, and Daniela Alley. Erica Janik is our executive producer, and Maureen McMurray is painting the roses red. Music in this episode came from Uncle Bibby, the Polish ambassador, Kevin McLeod, Ari De Niro, and Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Catherine Grover, Laura Ring, Evie King at Syringa Plus, and everyone I bothered in Rochester for this story. And thank you to Mary Colvard for asking us about Lilac City. Be like Mary and send us your question about New Hampshire. Right now, we're still collecting questions about life and times in the North Country. The easiest way to submit yours is by email, wordofmouth at nhpr.org. Word of Mouth is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.